Hello. Thank you for joining us. It's another weekly episode of Friendly Reminder, a podcast. It's your friendly reminder of what's going on around the world, in our lives, and everything in between. My name is Gus, and as always, I'll be your host for the evening. Joining me today are my two dear friends. Sam, how are you today? I'm doing really good. How are you? Doing pretty good. Daniel, how are you? Um, I'm doing really well today, Gus. Did you guys notice that I brought back the intro? I don't know if you guys noticed, but I stopped I saying it like for <laughs> for like two months straight. Now I'm bringing I it back. I did notice baby. that, yeah. yeah. And, you know, got to rely on the old classics. Anyways, before we get started, I'm probably going to say it this week. I said it last week. I'm probably going to say it the next week and every week thereafter until things get better. But COVID-19 is still a threat. Um, last week was, or this week, was the deadliest week uh, since the pandemic began. Every day, we're seeing around 3,000 or over 3,000 Americans succumb to the virus. Things are are getting very dire. And, you know, I, I understand I sound like a broken record, but I, I think it just needs to be said because I this is astonishing, and I just don't – I never thought we would be in a situation like this. I, I don't know if these kinds of stories still hit people, but they still hit me. I, I was reading on a story of a woman named Erica Becerra. Um, she was eight months pregnant when she was diagnosed with COVID-19. Um, in November, she was induced, and she gave birth to a healthy baby boy. Um, soon after that, she was uh, intubated because she was having trouble breathing, and three weeks later, she passed away. Um, so she never had an opportunity to hold her son, and this baby boy is going to live his entire life without his mother. These are not deaths that couldn't be prevented, and we have to stop sweeping it under the rug as if they were just going to happen and they're part of life and it is what it is. I saw a tweet the other day and I apologize. I don't know the person who sent it, but it was very poignant to me. They were like, my grandma survived like a forced labor camp in the Soviet Union, like migration, like raising three kids, like the great, like all this stuff, the great depression. And she died alone because of COVID and we could not see her. Like it was, it was just awful because it's all this stuff that yeah, Republicans would describe as like this heroic woman uh, escaping communism, pulling herself up by her bootstraps. And then what did we do? We, as a society, decided that we were willing to sort of let her die alone um, because we, you know, wanted to go to the the cheesecake factory uh, or whatever, or more than that, you know, we wanted to have family gathering. There's no doubt that there are people making very hard decisions where there is no there is no right or wrong decision. There's there's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. But there are decisions that we can do in our personal lives that can at least mitigate some some of this tragedy. You know, I understand it's hard. It's going to be hard not being with family um, during Christmas. It's going to be hard for me not to be am among my friends celebrating the new year. You know, being optimistic about about a new year and getting rid of 2020. It's going to be hard to to spend those times just with my immediate family and nobody else. But Look, these are easy sacrifices that we can do because at least if we do them, if we do the right thing, we can see each other next year. And some of these goodbyes don't have to be permanent. Anyways, I wanted to just touch on that real quick. Please be safe during the holidays. 
stay home when you can, and let's hope things get better next year. But let's get started with our actual episode, and let's start with the breaking news. Uh, <laughs> the Republicans, or what was it, the, the state of Texas? Um, yeah, I, did we talk about this last week? The state of Texas sued, uh, and it was this kind of big, it was the kind of lawsuit that Trump had been asking for since the beginning, which is uh, a massive lawsuit targeting every single state all of their grievances sort of put out there, handing it to the Supreme Court and saying, huh, come on, here it is. Um, I mean, it was all terrible. It was the same arguments made in all these other lawsuits, basically culled into one lawsuit and brought by Texas, which was <laughs> totally inexplicable because Texas doesn't really have any sort of standing to challenge the laws of all these other states. So it was Texas right. seeking in the Supreme Court to invalidate like 20 million votes of four other states. And Republicans thought it was brilliant. Um, 17, you know, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but it was something like 20 states attorneys, Republican states attorney, generals signed on to it. Um, you know, hundreds of, uh, definitely more than 100 uh, members of the, the House signed on to it. Like this was their... You know, I heard there was a lot of chatter about how this was it. This was the and when Pennsylvania's case got dismissed, people were like, well, you know, that's because the Supreme Court, this Texas case is just so much stronger. It's got everything in it, um, which is hilarious, because, again, it's all the same arguments that have been dismissed. So you can't <laughs> you don't make a better lawsuit, I guess, except in the minds of uh Fox News pundits, you don't make a better lawsuit by just combining all the crap that failed together into one lawsuit and then handing it to some random state to bring. That's not anything <laughs> like a lawsuit. You have to bring a lawsuit to, to, you know, to sue on behalf of your own rights. So Texas brought all these arguments that were in themselves very weak. And in and of itself, Texas didn't even have standing to bring them because it was suing uh, all these other states. To try to change their laws it's like you know it would be like if another state tried to sue texas to get their gun laws changed so that guns wouldn't stop would stop flowing into their their the neighboring states um maybe someone would like to do that but that's not really anything that is permitted um in our system and of course it was tossed out very unceremoniously in one sentence by the entire supreme court um there was uh, not a dissent, but Thomas and Alito wrote uh, what they referred to as a statement and basically just said that they <clears throat> basically said as a technical matter, they did not think they had the ability to sort of dismiss this case uh, as a matter of original jurisdiction. It was a technical matter. I don't think they were saying Trump had any kind of case. I The way I read this, it was nine to zero. Your case is bullshit. <laughs> Um, and of course, the conservatives went nuts. Uh, Trump has been tweeting all morning about how the Supreme Court has let us down. Um, it's it's very, very funny, to be perfectly honest, because this case, uh, I think nobody really thought this case and nobody who was looking at the law thought this case had any sort of chance. The only way this case could have had a chance if, the, if it really was like a, a wink, wink, like, can you just give it to us kind of case? And maybe they would do it. Um, Yet so many Republicans put their faith in faith in it, and it just it just collapsed. Um, didn't didn't Ted Cruz say he was going to like he volunteered to argue on behalf of this lawsuit in front of the Supreme Court? Yep, 
Mm-hmm. Former Rehnquist clerk, <laughs> Ted Cruz, former justice of the Texas Supreme Court, Ted Cruz, former solicitor general for Texas. Um, I don't remember if he was attorney general. He may have been. But either way, he argued, he said he would argue it in front of the Supreme Court. This just nonsensical case that was basically, I, I mean, I think a couple of episodes I talked about how Trump was the kind of guy that eventually would just like write a, a letter in crayon and strap it to a brick and throw it to the Supreme Court window. Um, I think that's what this was. <laughs> Realistically, this case had no legal merit whatsoever, but it terrified people because they thought, well, that doesn't mean the Supreme Court can't decide it in in a way that helps Trump or in a way that elects Trump. The Supreme Court can do whatever they want. Um, but, you know, they decided that it was too much even for them. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, that's what we have to make note of, because let's call it what this is. This is an effort to just undermine the election, to say that these votes in these battleground states should just be tossed out because the result didn't turn out to be what we wanted. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's it. And they're using, they, they have no evidence of any kind of voter fraud. They're unhappy with the fact that Joe Biden is going to be president, and they think that shouldn't happen. Um, this is all, I mean, we already live in a very flawed democracy where the popular vote does not decide uh, a president. And that gap between the popular vote and the electoral vote, college vote is getting bigger and bigger. I mean, it's it's, it's almost a 4% difference now, which you're talking about 7, 7 million, 6 million to 7 million votes. But even then, like even, even they couldn't even win the electoral college and still they, they come up with other excuses that Joe Biden shouldn't become president of the United States. Uh, I mean, we need to to call this what it is. It's it's authoritarianism, it's fascism, it's people who hate already a pretty flawed democracy, but they hate they hate it even they, they hate even that and they want it to be even more unfair. You know, Ted, I mentioned Ted Cruz because let's remember that he is also former presidential candidate Ted Cruz and probably future presidential candidate Ted Cruz. Uh, and we're not that far removed from him possibly winning the 2016 um, uh, a primary and maybe even becoming president if Donald Trump had not been the candidate. These people are going to be around now. And, and the the one, what is it, like 126 uh, congressmen, uh, congressmen and women in, in the House are still going to be around. And let's remember what they did. I mean, they, they tried to say that this election doesn't count and that Donald Trump should remove it despite the facts that it was a fair and free election. I don't know what you what else you call that. People have been debating exactly what to call this. Uh, auto coup seems to be the sort of, because a coup is technically taking out the, when you're from the outside of government, taking out the government in power. Uh, so some people have suggested auto coup, which is uh, illegitimately extending or attempting to extend someone's uh, r- uh, rule. I know that the Texas GOP has called, has basically called, I mean, let's just call it uh, secessions. Let's see, the leader of the Texas Republican Party suggested Friday that, quote, law-abiding states, unquote, might want to form their own, quote, union, <laughs> quote, after the U.S. Supreme Court rejected Texas's lawsuit over the 2020 presidential election. Um, uh, yeah, Texas asserted it had, quote, to demand that all other states abide by the rules in appointing presidential electors. Unquote. It claimed that the other states suffered whenever one state, quote, violates federal law to affect the outcome of a presidential election, unquote. The Republican Party, the head of the Republican Party in Texas is basically calling for 
secession (laughs) in much the same way, you know, they called for secession when Abraham Lincoln was elected. And these are the people that constantly call themselves patriots, right? They have no problem waving around their American flags. They have no problem saying how proud they are to be Americans and how perfect this country is. And let's not dare bring up slavery because we don't want to. Uh, we don't want to taint our American history. It was always perfect. And now that a result didn't come their way, they want to go ahead and secede from the union. <laughs> like, yeah, Rush, Rush they, Limbaugh came out and called for secession, also explicitly. Uh, which, you know, might not be the first time that Rush Limbaugh has done that, but you also have congressional Republicans. The congressman from Fredericksburg said he's going to file legislation that will allow a referendum to give Texans a vote for the state of Texas to become its own country. Um, Sorry, just to clarify, Rush Limbaugh did not call for secession. He said we are trending towards secession. Cool. That that is Rush Limbaugh, uh, recipient of the Medal of Freedom from President Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, I said a couple of episodes back after Biden got elected that I I I knew this was going to happen for a couple of months, but I figured that at some point Republicans would look at what they have, and they they got they they were uh, they're in a decent position to hold the Senate. They got some really unexpected victories in the House, and they have a 6-3 majority in the Supreme Court. I figured they would look at that and they would say, you know what, in 2022, we can win some House races. We can probably pick up a couple of, of seats in the Senate. We don't need to die for Donald Trump. We, we don't need to. This is not the hill we need to die on. And yet, here we are. Like, they've, they've chosen that... They're going to back this loser until the very end, and they're going to lose with him over and over and over, seemingly until the end of time, because Donald Trump is probably still going to be uh, questioning the election results well after Biden is is uh, inaugurated as president. And you're going to see this congressman and woman take his side. Uh I don't know what the end game is. I don't know if it's to bring him back in 2024 or, or just bring another Trumpian candidate, but... I mean, this isn't going away. This isn't going away anytime soon. And let's talk about Joe Biden himself, just for for a little bit, said that there was going to be a Republican epiphany uh, after he got elected, and they were just going to come to terms that they're not going to back Trump anymore, and they're going to work with the Democrats. I wonder if he still thinks that right now. (laughs) It's embarrassing. I, I never trusted Republicans, you know, it's been a long time since I saw them as just like the people on the other side of the aisle that just have political differences and and social differences than I do. But if if, if I had thought about this four years ago, five years ago, I would have never believed we would have come this far, like this close to authoritarianism. No, not even close. Like they're not close to fascism. They are. Like I, I keep saying, seeing like, oh, they're trending towards fascism. Like they're not trending. They're already there. Yeah. And they're happy to be there. The Republican state parties basically, yeah, you said it, asking the Supreme Court invalidate the results of the election and then saying, if you don't do it, we'll secede. <laughs> it, I mean, it's out and out, just a plain and simple authoritarianism, or at least an attempt at authoritarianism that is is being blocked by uh, the Supreme Court. 
And this is the majority of the party, at least the elected officials. Like the Mitt Romneys uh, of the world are, God bless them, but they're the vast minority of, of this party. Um, like this, this is this is unbelievable, and I'm not entirely sure what reaching across the aisle even means in 2021. But we're gonna have an administration that's definitely gonna give it a shot, I suppose. It's gonna have to give it a shot to do anything. Yeah. But before we get to that administration, let's talk about something that could at least help this situation. And that's the two Senate races, the two runoff races that are occurring in Georgia. Uh, the vote will happen on January 5th. Uh, and it's two races. Currently, Democrats have 48 seats in the Senate. That means that they have to win both of these races to get to 50-50, which means that they technically have the majority because Kamala Harris, the future vice president, will be able to cast the deciding vote. So it's a big deal. It, it, it makes a difference. I understand that we're far removed from being able to get those 52, 53, maybe 54 House, or Senate seats, I'm sorry, to be able to, to pass bigger legislature or, or, or legislation or maybe kill the filibuster. But it still makes a difference. And it's hard to predict what's going to happen, right? Because we're, we have some polls out, but I'm deeply afraid to talk about them because uh, <laughs> no, the no, polls were not exactly. I think I'm okay. No, I'm not going to make any prediction. The polls were right about Georgia. You told me that. Are, were they not yeah. right about Georgia? So, yeah, we should at least factor that into our analysis right uh, i still don't want to talk okay okay, okay like, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> look there there are polls that either way i mean it doesn't matter because the polls show a tight race like there are some polls that show um john ossoff and Raphael warnock which are the two democrats slightly ahead of kelly loffler and david purdue which are the uh republicans in this uh in this runoff race Either way, the margins are thin. It's it's like one or two points. So even even if they were quote unquote wrong, it would it's not like a major polling error. It's it's just you know it's 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 very common for for polls within one to two points to go one way or the other. Still though, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue are terrible candidates. Uh, D David Perdue is essentially a day trader who uses his Senate position to get some like key insider information on on his trading, and and that's it. That's why he's the sen senator of the United States. Kelly Loeffler is the richest U.S. senator right now, and she was not. She did not win an election. She was appointed uh, to this this position. She's never won a statewide election in her life, and uh, I don't know if you guys want to play a clip of that debate right now, but. You know, I understand that the term call, calling a politician robotic is a very like overused term, but she sincerely struggles to sound like a human being. I mean, it's she sounds like she's a robot that's just breaking down. And oh my God, like Georgians, please, like <laughs> just do the right thing. Daddy, do you want to play like you, you show yeah, me? Yeah, I'll clip. play, I'll play the debate clip right now. You know, Chuck Schumer said, now we take Georgia. Then we change America. 
I'm fighting for every single Georgian to live the American dream. Chuck Schumer of socialism, the American dream, radical, liberal, Raphael Warnock, the American dream, radical, liberal, Raphael Warnock, radical, liberal, Raphael Warnock, Chuck Schumer's radical agenda, defund the police, Marxism, socialism, and Marxism, radical, liberal, Raphael Warnock, yeah. I'm here working for Georgia. Defund the police. Radical liberal Raphael Warnock. Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer. Radical liberal Raphael Warnock. Radical liberal Raphael Warnock. Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi of the American Dream. I started filling out a time card when I was 11 of the American Dream. Radical liberal Raphael Warnock. The socialist of the American Dream. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Radical liberal Raphael Warnock. Putting the American Dream. Socialism. Radical liberal Raphael Warnock of the American Dream. Socialism. Defunding the police. Chuck Schumer is radical liberal Raphael Warnock. To defund the police. Radical agenda of the abortion on demand. Radical liberal Raphael Warnock, radical liberal Raphael Warnock, defund the police, to defund the police, defund the police, the American dream, the American dream, the American dream, socialism, the American dream, the American dream, <laughs> Chuck Schumer, radical liberal Raphael Warnock was socialist. Yeah, the American dream. Um, That was funny. I'm going to have radical liberal War Raphael Warnock stuck in my head. I, the funny thing is I don't even think I remember that guy's name until I heard Kelly Loeffler say radical liberal Raphael Warnock like 5,000 times during the debate. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, and it sounds like, you know, obviously we just played an edited clip there, but if you actually do go back to that debate, she did say radical liberal Raphael Warnock about 30,000 times. And oh, yeah, that it, wasn't, it was sorry, just to clarify, that was a super cut of the times that she said it mixed in with other stuff. Yeah, that wasn't just her repeating, that wasn't her, like, that wasn't me just repeating her saying that over and over again. That was yeah, the actual times said that she said that. Yeah, I think she, she said was, it over and over. Yeah, maybe trying to convince people that he was a radical liberal. I wonder if it worked. <laughs> and his name is Raphael Warnock. <laughs> Who knows? You know, you know, I don't know what works or what doesn't work. At the end of the day, like the, the Donald Trump using these same stupid tactics got so many votes. He still lost, thankfully, but there's something about these just kind of hitting with these very um very scripted phrases and, and just these very specific terms and just saying socialism over and over again and saying the American dream over and over again, that somehow wins some votes. Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping the people in Georgia make the right decision. Uh, again, there's a vast difference between 48 uh, Democratic senators and 50 Democratic senators. I don't know if you guys want to talk about some of the possible things that at least we could get done with 50 senators and 50 Democratic senators in the Senate. But at the very least, the very first one that becomes a far bigger possibility would COVID be a substantial relief. COVID relief package yeah. uh, of over $2 trillion that can finally help small businesses, help uh, those that got laid off of, of, for no fault of their own, um, help hospitals, help healthcare workers, help just average Americans get through this madness because things are just getting worse and Congress is doing less and less to, to help the American people out. I mean, less and less is, is, is actually an overstatement. They're not doing anything so far. They haven't yeah. done anything since May, since April. Well, so, they ran, the money ran out, right? And the, yeah. the eviction moratoriums have run out, right? Or they're about to run out. I think they're about to, or if not already. Yeah. I mean, we need, even some kind of minor bill during this like uh, lame duck session would go a long way, but 
uh, even after that, it's it's going to require substantial uh, sub substantial legislation to to get through this because the yes, the vaccine is coming and it's coming for healthcare workers and for those in in um, nursing facilities, for example, in the next week or two. But the vaccine is not an immediate solution. It's not going to help the economy right away. It's not going to help uh, businesses right away. It's going to take some time for for it to develop. Uh, an actual herd immunity that doesn't kill thousands and thousands of people each day. So relief is necessary one way or the other. And with 48 Democratic senators and uh, and Mitch McConnell as the uh, Senate Majority Leader, I just don't see that happening in 2021. And and it's true that Biden is is immoderate. And we're talking a little later about the ways that he's moderate and the way that he's never hid that he was a moderate. I think that with 50 senators, we are going to get some, we'll, we'll hopefully get the, some sort of Biden care public option, which would be amazing. And <laughs> it is, it is worth, uh, you know, thinking, obviously it's not Medicare for all, but I mean, can you imagine how, how much better things are going to be when there's a public option of some sort, if, if we can actually get that passed? Um, it, it's going to be insane. There's also been a lot of overtures towards forgiving student debt, and Biden has been disinclined to do that via executive order, I think. Uh, but, you know, if that could get past the Senate, I mean, another just amazing thing for people, you know? Yeah, and it would be a, it would be a good um, economic stimulus. There's thousands and thousands of Americans that are burdened with this debt that if you give them some sort of relief they can they can turn that back and then give that to towards the economy because they're they don't have to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars each month on top of their bills on top of their uh mortgage on top of uh any living expenses that they might have to do it it would be huge yeah more importantly when some like uh you know youth leftist youth is like what does democrats ever do to me you can be like ha student debt forgiveness which is really, uh, you know, being able to beat people in arguments is really the most important thing about politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and the now, and, We need to you own know, the conservatives. Also, there's also the uh, the most important thing, uh, mm -hmm. which is to say, and I, are we going to get this? Is this a real thing that might happen? Because it seems crazy. So the House voted not too long ago, the democratically controlled House voted to decriminalize marijuana and expunge nonviolent marijuana-related convictions. Um, first time a Chamber of Congress has ever uh, endorsed this sort of uh, legalization of cannabis. Um, obviously, the bill is doomed in the Senate. Mitch McConnell, yeah, uh, more of a cocaine guy, cocaine mm -hmm. Mitch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, uh, you know, there all the Republicans, you know, like ten Republicans voted yes. So many of them, several of them voted no. A lot of them sat out because they're they're pathetic. Uh, this is something that's that's you know very popular. Uh, has got a is more popular than I would say most politicians. Did, didn't legalization in Florida pass with like more more votes than like Joe Biden, and Donald Trump, yeah. like some absurd amount of votes, like sixty five percent. Do you think this is something that is a possibility? Uh, in a if a fifty fifty dem majority because that's another one of those one of those sort of low cost I'll call them low cost well maybe not maybe it's not low cost maybe it's only low cost in my mind but low cost gifts to the left where you, you know student loan forgiveness 
a generous COVID relief, some sort of public option, and decriminalize marijuana? I mean, those four things, I mean, you could bash them. (laughs) Again, I don't know if the, the best thing about the most important thing about politics is being able to prove to your leftist friends that the Democrats actually care about some leftist things, but those, that would, that stuff in in and of itself would be, that stuff is it, huge. it would be revolutionary. It would be revolutionary. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that stuff is going to pass, but I feel like, I don't know, Gus, what do you, what do you think? Are we being, I mean, this is obviously, they have to actually get the Senate in the first place. And even when they get it, they're going to have it by a razor thin margin, and they're going to have Joe Manchin, and they're going to have. I mean, even if they do have it, even if they do have the Senate, I mean, there are still some moderate senators. I think that probably are Democratic senators that wouldn't vote for this. You like? Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's the concern with like Manchin. Uh, the the I, am I pronouncing his? I can never get his name right. But the yeah, senator Manchin. from West Virginia. Um, but for certain things, like, for example, for the COVID uh, stimulus, I don't think you're going to see any dissent. I think in, in, this, in this sense, the, the Democratic Party is lockstep and, and they're going to be together. And in fact, I think you might even see some Republicans join um, just because it's of the, di- the how the dire the situation is right now. With other things, though, like forgiving student loan debt and the marijuana, um, decriminalizing marijuana. Well, the marijuana thing, I could see it being like a weird thing where like you might see Manson like um, dissent, but then like somehow Ron or Rand Paul is like jumps on, on board and, yeah. <laughs> and he's our hero of the day. <laughs> but or, I mean, is there any I mean, why can they cannot just put this together with like funding for in in West Virginia is one of the most uh the places that are most devastated by opi- the opioid epidemic, you know, like why, <laughs> why could you not put this with more moderate, you know, so-called moderate proposals and get this passed? I mean, if Biden is so good at reaching across the aisle to Republicans, he should be as good at reaching across the quote unquote aisle to the people in his own party. Right. Yeah. Uh, has Biden uh, ever made any kind of statement about decriminalizing marijuana? Like, I he know he's not. not in favor of legalizing it, but actually, that's a good. On, co- I think he he changed he changed his views. But this is that this is where we get back to talking about how Biden has always been a moderate. He's never tried to hide that fact. Yeah, but I feel like during his campaign. There were some kind of like attempts to be like, you know what, I am going to be more progressive than you think I am. Um, I am going to listen to Elizabeth Warren. Like, in fact, the student loan uh, thing, I don't I don't think he st- he started his campaign with that. I think that's something he he added along the way and pre- basically quoted Elizabeth Warren and being like, yeah, I like her idea and I'm going to implement it as part of my campaign promises. So maybe there's just because knowing the situation, there's going to be an attempt. Now the public option, I understand it's it's not Medicare for all, and it's it should not be the end of that conversation. Uh, but it does do more than what even Obamacare does right now, and it does it specifically does do more to detach healthcare plans from employers, right? Which I think is is a major issue uh, in terms of. Uh, affordable quote-unquote healthcare in America, the fact that we rely on our employers and if we get laid off for no fault of our own during a pandemic, for example, we're completely out of luck 
not only with our income, but with any kind of disease that we might get where we might need to be hospitalized. Well, to be fair, yeah. they're not completely out of luck. There's there's Cobra. There's Yeah, but Cobra is like three times as much than Well, yeah, but you could flee across the border to Mexico. <laughs> you could yeah. you could die. There's all sorts of solutions. Just... <laughs> Several options available. <laughs> Just separate from your mortal coil and, and there's relief. Uh, welcome to America. <laughs> Look, I think I think the main consensus is even if you are a leftist uh, or you are a more moderate Democrat, winning these two races in Georgia is huge. Because if you do get a, a 52 Republican majority, you know what they're going to do, right? Like all of a sudden it's going to be like... Oh, that deficit, man. Oh, the debt. Oh, oh dear. No, we got to go back to austerity. Like, we need to fix this. This is the biggest issue in American history. This is this is the issue of our time, the debt and the deficit. And yeah. that's the, always the issue of their time until a Republican gets elected, a Republican president gets elected again, and then they just increase the debt and the deficit for the stupidest reasons. Give a tax cut to the rich. Invade a random third world country. Those are excellent reasons to to increase the deficit and the debt. But helping out uh, people with student loan debt, helping out uh, laid off employees during a pandemic, helping uh, people find affordable health care. No, we can't afford <sighs> that bunch of assholes. Whether or not Georgia goes Democrat or not, I hope that some Republicans will cross the aisle and be like, hey, you know, this could be some good for both of there, us. There's some there's you know, potentials. There's Mitch Romney, Mitchell. Uh there's Suzanne Collins. Uh Suzanne Murkowski. No relation. <laughs> uh well, why would you say there's no relation? Their first name is the same, not their last the name. Same connection. Their first names aren't the same either. It's Lisa Murkowski. Um, <laughs> so that, oh. um, I don't know. If I, those uh, none of those people sound like they're going to sign on to any of those, any of the plans. But I don't know. Maybe Mitt Romney on the public? Probably not. You know what my hope truly is when it comes to the Republicans. My hope is that Donald Trump and his allies keep talking about this fraudulent election and how millions of votes were stolen. And somehow that convinces Republicans to be like, well, guess my vote doesn't count. And so I'm not going to go vote uh, in Georgia. And then that helps John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock win the election. I have my doubt that's going to happen. But if there's any hope coming from Republicans, it's not them. It's not from the moderate ring. It's from like the crazy conspiracy theories undermining their own turnout. So keep peddling yeah. that nonsense, you fucking. There's moron, hope in, so. the in the conspiracies, <laughs> in the Kraken, yes, in the Kraken. Yeah, go ahead and unleash it. Uh, Sydney, uh, Sydney Powell, former pr presidential attorney, tweet retweeted someone calling for mass executions of Democrats. So I'll, I'll keep you updated. <laughs> really? on Really? She did. Yeah. Perfectly <laughs> normal party. The the normal stuff. What it? What did Jenna Ellis call themselves? Like the elite elite legal task force that's going to mm -hmm. save the republic or something? Mm -hmm. Yep. And she's been spreading the most hilarious information, misinformation about what cases are going to win immediately after they, immediately before they get dismissed <laughs> by the courts. 
Yeah, that landed about as well as a Giuliani fart. <laughs> wow. Oh, they also all have COVID. <laughs> like, no matter how funny these things are, it's eventually, it just, like, it's exhausting to keep battling these conspiracy theories and keep, like, trying to tell them they're trying to say the truth of what's really going on when they can come up with a new conspiracy theory like every day. Yeah, but it's not like we sit and prove all their conspiracy theories wrong. We just kind of make fun yeah. of them and move on. I'm not battling anything. I'm just yeah, I don't, I don't having as much fun as I possibly battling can. Battling any of these people. Um, the president is running around behind the scenes like calling up legislatures, calling up making speeches, calling up judges, trying to get someone desperately to overturn the election. And we're all just kind of shrugging like, eh, he's like trying to get people to throw out votes. And it's it's like the most, the most horrendous, like, can America still say that we've always had peaceful transfers of power at this point? Like, <laughs> like, can they continue to say that? Like, he's literally trying to game the mechanisms in a way that's just obviously fraudulent to maintain, to stay president. Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I guess if there's no actual violence, I mean, if if somebody leaves office but is contesting it in a way that's basically saying I'm leaving it under duress because I do not believe I actually lost, does that count as a peaceful transfer of power? I, I don't know. No, I don't think so. I don't know if we should consider this a quote unquote peaceful transition of power. Like if the sitting president of the United States is still saying that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president and he's going to keep saying that after he's out of office, uh, what he's essentially doing is that he's telling half of the nation that the person that you see in the White House is not the current president of the United States. And I have seen that happen in, in, in Mexico. Like I have seen, uh, a presidential candidate who loses a close election. And that election was closer than this one, by the way. This wasn't even particularly that close. But I have seen a losing candidate essentially establish his own cabinet uh, and say, I'm the legitimate president of the United States. And it's, I can tell you, it's, it's, it's deeply destabilizing. And we should be concerned about the ramifications. And yeah, there might not be violence now, but it's not quote-unquote peaceful in the sense that we're it's not a smooth transition, and you're going to see a lot of people not believe the fact that Joe Biden is the actual president of the United States, which say what you want to say about the resistance or the leftists or whatever. Or yeah, we might <laughs> like say say what you want to say about them and, and in 2016. Like, yeah, we were mad that we don't elect a president based on the popular vote, but we didn't deny that. Donald Trump was the legitimate president, right? Like we could say exactly. stuff like not my president, but we we knew like he was the president of the United States and Hillary Clinton lost. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Joe Biden is not going to spend the next years, <laughs> next 4 years saying Trump was not ever the actual president because of Russia. It's not going to happen. But Trump is going to continue to say not only that well first of all, he said that about Obama the entire time he was freaking president. He may have like supposedly changed his mind afterwards, but he said Obama was not the president for for eight years. Uh, and now he's going to say Joe Biden was not legitimately the president. Um, I'm legitimately concerned about the shadow cabinet, shadow administration thing, just because I think it's it's something that Trump would do. And it's something that uh, the funny thing is, is that conservatives thought Obama was going to do that. <laughs> 
they really thought Obama was going to do that. They thought, oh, you remember when Obama bought his townhouse in D.C.? Uh, they thought he was going to set up. They were like, oh, he needs to be close to the Capitol for, <laughs> to maintain yeah. his power structures. And and they thought he was going to set up like a shadow cabinet so he could retake over the government. Um, man, that would Obama. Cool. <laughs> Why couldn't your shadow cabinet win us the Senate? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the, yeah, and the more far out conspiracy theories think, well, Obama did ta- retake over via Joe Biden, <laughs> um, which is again like uh, just so absurd. And it's also a thing it's I concerning. wish had actually happened, <laughs> and that didn't yeah. happen. Um, but you're right; it is. It is. How is it not going to? If he still maintains he's the president, I mean, it it it, it kind of reminds me of Juan Guaido in in uh, in Venezuela. Uh, where the entire Western world says he's the president, even though he has no actual power over Venezuela. Um, it's going to be kind of like that, uh, except you know, the opposite. No one's going to say this guy's the president except for 70% of the Republican Party. But they're going to be absolutely sure about it. Um, and everybody else is going to be like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> um, and I should also like specify when when I when I'm referring to to what happened in Mexico, I'm re- I'm referring to what happened to then losing candidate in 2006, uh, uh, Manuel Lopez Obrador, who again he lost in 2006 in a close election. He is also the current president of Mexico now, and he won his election. It was a fair and free election, and he won it by a lot. So, don't think that these are just silly things that don't actually resonate with. With uh, uh, the population, uh, uh, nation's population at large, like this kind of populism does work, and this these kind of tactics can be effective. And Donald Trump technically is eligible to be president again. I hope when he runs again, someone challenges it and was like, "Well, but he's been president for the last four years. Yeah. <laughs> he's legally been president. <laughs> yeah. He can't run again. He won. He, he finished his second term. Yeah, like yeah. it's over." <laughs> His shadow cabinet, like that's that's it. Oh boy, I'm sorry to get on such a dark tangent, but it's just something we need to be concerned about because this isn't like I said, like Ted Cruz, who was a presidential candidate and who's probably going to try to run for president too, also uh, wanted to argue on behalf of Texas in front of the Supreme Court on for this stupid case that got thrown out by even the most conservative uh, Supreme Court that we've seen in decades. These people are nuts, but they're influential, and they're going to be the face of the party, of the Republican Party, going forward. Well, it's a good thing we have Joe Biden to, you know, yeah. vi- use his iron fist of power and violate all the norms so that socialism can can come great. counteract this fascism, right? Yeah, great transition because that is exactly <laughs> what I'm about to <laughs> what we're about to talk about. Um, again, let's talk about the upcoming Biden administration because I hate to break it uh, to you folks, but Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States starting January 20th, and yeah. You know, it's going to be a very different administration. And over the past couple of weeks, we, we're starting to see his cabinet and we're starting to see what what this administration will be like. And Daniel, you specifically wanted to just talk about a, a few things, starting with um, a, a civil uh, or, or a call that was that was a. Uh, um, 
how should I put this? It was obtained by The Intercept uh, and released. And this was a call with uh, Joe Biden and a group of civil rights uh, leaders and activists. Activists, And, you know, certain things were, were said. So, Sure. And I'll say the, the interesting thing about this call, I mean, it, it is valuable uh, in terms of you know, the the hidden conversations, what Joe Biden is, is thinking, because we, we talked a, a couple of weeks back about the sort of the narratives about the election, one narrative being that the party went too far left and there was a backlash and that's why uh, down ballot Democrats got washed. Uh, we also talked about the narrative of, well, maybe Joe Biden was too milquetoast, wasn't bold enough, and that's why down ballot Democrats got washed. Uh, what do the party insiders think of this? Uh, they're leaning towards the former, the, the sort of leftists in the party are leaning towards the latter argument. Joe Biden, I think, I think we ca- could have all predicted. I mean, he's never hidden that he's a moderate. He very explicitly ran as the anti-Bernie candidate, uh, you know, famously said, I beat the socialist. I'm not the socialist. I beat the socialist. Um, so it's not surprising he said some of this. Uh, but it is worth considering. Um, so this, con- so it in in terms of conversations about norms, uh, the the call was really about uh, uh, several things. But the two things I wanted to focus on: one was the the individuals on the calls were civil rights leaders, and I'll get into a little more detail about who they were. But one of the things they were asking him to do was take a a bunch of executive orders uh, in the first couple of days of the administration uh, favoring civil rights. Um, the way he responded to that was not, again, this is not something, this is something I think he would probably say publicly in in more or less the way that he said uh, so, or at least this is not something that's hard to predict. Um, and I'm going to read what he said completely. It's it's a little rambling. It is Joe Biden, but you kind of, you kind of see what, uh, what he's getting at here. Um, and and the interesting thing is, and I said a minute ago they brought this up, but he actually brought this up apropos of of nothing. Uh, they were not talking about executive orders when he brought this up. He wanted it. He brought it up as an example of something. As well, this is too far, so we should kind of we can't go this far. Uh, uh, so quote. Uh, so there's some things that I'm going to be able to do by executive order. I'm not going to hesitate to do it, but when I'm not going to do is I'm not going to do what used to. Uh, Vanita Gupta, you probably used to get angry with me during the debates when you'd have some of the people you were supporting. On day one, I'm going to have an executive order to do this, not within the constitutional authority. I'm not going to violate the constitution. Executive authority that my progressive friends talk about, it is way beyond the bounds. And as one of you said, maybe it was you, Reverend Al Sharpton, whether it's far left or far right, there is a constitution. It's our only hope. Our only hope and the way to deal with it is where I have executive authority. I will use to undo every single damn thing this guy has done by executive authority. But I'm not going to exercise executive authority where it's a question where I can come along and say, I can do away with assault weapons. There's no executive authority to do away with that. And no one has fought me harder to get rid of assault weapons than me but you can't do it by executive order. We do that, next guy comes along and says, well, guess what? By executive order, I guess everybody can have machine guns again. So we gotta be careful. Um, that was a little ram- <laughs> That was a little rambling, I'm not, the, but, but I think his main thrust of that argument was that he was not, he was willing to undo what Trump did, um, but he was not willing to sort of violate what he perceived as the norms to go to the left of what Trump did. Um, what that means in practice, 
un, un not totally clear. Agree with you, like in the sense that I think that's something he would say in public. It's you know, hearing it from you, it's it, nothing that he said is particularly surprising. No. Um, and in fact, you might even argue that that's one of the reasons why he won. Like exactly, he, yeah. He ran on reestablishing the norms. He ran on saying, "I'm not going to be the president that just uses over overuses my executive authority." Um, I'm, I believe in the three branches of government and how we need to work with each other. And I, if if you want somebody that just does executive authority uh, on behalf of leftist ideals or overuses executive authority on behalf of leftist ideals, vote for the other guy. And he would say exactly that, and he won. Exactly, exactly. And I agree with that. And he actually said that. Uh, so this is a little more from the call. Biden also warned that civil rights leaders that pressure on the incoming administration around police reform could hurt the party's chances in the Georgia Senate runoffs, claiming that the Republicans' ability to define that party ha as in favor of defunding the police is, quote, how they beat the living hell out of us across the country. So Biden very, you know, and uh, as I said, I think we could have predicted this, he endorses the idea that the leftist ideas are what caused the washing of down ballot Dems. Um, um, it, uh, another uh, part of this video, and it's a little complicated to explain, but basically NAAC President Derek Johnson was on the call and he had pointed out that uh, Tom, making tall, Tom Vilsack, the Secretary of Agriculture, would piss off black farmers in Georgia. Um, this was slightly less of a civil rights issue, but I don't know if you guys remember Shirley Sherrod. Do you? I do not. Gus. Okay, so Shirley Sherrod was the uh, Georgia Director of Rural Development for the U.S. Department of Agriculture uh, under Tom Vilsack, who was uh, Barack Obama. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Well, no, no, no. This is, I mean, this is a, this is a fairly, I guess maybe it was in right wing circles. She told a, she, she was African American. She told a story about how, uh, I believe when she was younger, she had expressed some or felt some prejudice towards a white farmer. Um, Breitbart took the comments, cut them to hell, put them out, basically saying, look at this racist person. Um, and Tom Vilsack fired her. It capitulated and fired her, even though the, Video was, you know, she did not deserve to be fired over this clip. It was actually a clip about how prejudice is bad. <laughs> it was a clip about how she felt this prejudice and she thought that it was very bad, you know. Uh, but they, of course, took it out of uh, context. Um, but this was a big enough deal to black farmers in Georgia that NAACP president thought that Tom Vilsack, because he capitulated and fired Shirley Sherrod, uh, you know, this was not a good pick. Um, and this is who Biden ended up picking. Um, you can't, I'm not, I'm not drawing these like broad conclusions because I think the broad conclusions are already here. These are more like examples of that same moderation that you knew Joe Biden was going to have, but picking Tom Vilsack again, um, even though, uh, there's this, uh, Shirley Sherrod issue, which, uh, may piss off Georgia farmers, especially uh, black Georgia farmers who, to them, Shirley Sherrod was, I mean, they know who Shirley Sherrod is. Uh, they they work directly with her. You know, they work with the Ag, Depar Ag uh, Department of Agriculture a lot. Um, but he was just very like, no, I don't think that's true. Uh, uh, the point being, he was not very 
sort of considerate of the idea of Shirley Sherrod as a civil rights hero, uh, which is what uh, the NAACP president was trying to make. Um, now, is Vilsack a good ag secretary? Maybe, maybe not, probably. Um, but uh, the, the, the point of that was uh, the, these instances of Biden doing what, again, we're not surprised that he's doing. Um, he is the restorer of norms, but it does sort of contrast pretty tightly with uh, the other story we were set to talk about, which is uh, Lloyd Austin, Biden's pick for SecDef, uh, and how that actually violates also uh, a big norm. Uh, I don't know if, Gus, you wanted to talk about that first, or do you want me to just discuss it? No, I mean, we, we can talk about it all together because I think it just kind of highlights uh, the overall conversation. Uh, because yeah, you are you are mentioning um, Lloyd Austin, who is is the sec the nominee for Secretary of Defense, um, and the norm that you're you're saying it violates is the fact that he was a general about four years ago, if I'm not mistaken, and the um, the way the law set up is that it, in order to be eligible to to lead the Secretary of Defense, you need to be out of the um, any kind of military for seven years, I believe is the is the clause um, now yeah. that has been waived? Uh, the Congress does have the ability to waive that, and it has. They have used it before. Um, in fact, fairly recently, when um, Jim Mattis was was nominated to be Secretary of Defense under under Trump, and Congress did go ahead and waive it, and he was nominated. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was supposed to be like a big one-time exception. And I even I was even reading the article. It's like the reason it was because, you know, we needed a quote-unquote adult in the room and Jim Mattis would be that perfect candidate. But here we are with Joe Biden, the guy that's supposed to be reestablishing the norms, and he's asking Congress to to wave, wave it again and, and nominate Lloyd Austin, who should be said, and you mentioned this specific, Daniel, uh, is a part of the board of directors for Raytheon. But that's what I know. I mean, what, what did you want to say about it? Yeah, should, no, this is, this is, look, like, is, is Lloyd Austin, looking into his record, he's not a terrible pick. Uh, this, this norm shattering and picking another military person, I do not like that. Um, I think that law is a good law. The reason being that, uh, you know, countries where the military has an oversized amount of power are pretty unstable. <laughs> and countries and, you know, in the legislature's wisdom, uh, having civilian oversight of the very powerful U.S. military is a way to keep that under control. And that's sort of the point. The military is a fundamentally different institution than civilian institutions. There's a command line authority. It's 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 just a diff the way things are practiced are just different on a day to day basis. So the idea about a, a seven day waiting a seven day seven year waiting period is you have to give people the space to sort of learn to not be in the military, not be a military person before they can command this largely civilian uh, department, the Department of Defense. Uh, that's the theory behind it. So, so uh, that and yes, the I joked last week uh, saying, oh, well, you know, this was before Lloyd Austin was the pick. I joked about how uh, 
some of the criticisms of uh i think it was abe lincoln <laughs> i said uh you know, at least he's not a raytheon lobbyist and then <laughs> and then the next week <laughs> joe biden uh picked a raytheon board member to be which is not again it's not like the last three you know uh secdef mattis was on the board of general dynamics patrick shanahan was on was an executive at boeing and mark esper was a lobbyist for raytheon um so this is not that part in and of itself is not norm shattering, but I do think it's interesting. Um, and I think some Democrats have actually come out and said that they will not vote for this waiver. Gus, have you heard that? Do you know if they're serious about that? Because without, I mean, are Republicans going to help him get, get this nominee across the board if Democrats won't vote for the waiver? Uh, that's my understanding of it. I mean, there's been significant resistance to to be able to or to get the votes for this waiver because uh, I mean, even even with Mattis, there was there was quite a bit of uh, of congressional Democrats that voted against the waiver, um, and they're they're expressing that same kind of pessimism um, or um, unwillingness to to support the waiver now just because it's Joe Joe Biden. So it's based on what i've read like it is getting significant opposition and i'm not entirely sure he's going to be able to get this nomination but i mean they're going to have a thinner margin in the house it's a it's a, that's the interesting thing it's not the senate he has to be approved by the senate but the waiver has to be passed by the house i believe right you're right yeah um so you know uh, lloyd austin again looking into his actual record he was he was point man on running the withdrawal of troops uh, along with Joe Biden. Um, and I think we talked about this, Gus. That is probably a big reason why Biden picked him. He tends to pick people that he's worked with before, that he's trusted, um, and that he has, and he feels they have a certain amount of loyalty to him. Um, and I think that's why he picked this guy. And again, this guy's not a, you know, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lefty. I think that uh, you know, we should get a shoeless hippie to be in charge of the Defense Department. But in, in terms of the the people that could he could have picked, I actually like Lloyd Austin in terms of his not being too much of a sable saber rattler uh, more than uh, the other potential frontrunners like Michelle For Fornoy, uh, who was who was one other potential frontrunner. Like he, most of the criticism I've seen of Austin outside of the things we've discussed uh, are focused on him being too uh not hawkish enough on on china mostly <laughs> and i'm I, and for me i'm like i think i think he's gonna be plenty hawkish on china i'm not i'm not concerned he's not gonna be hawkish enough on china so uh, that's that's my view on the situation but it, it is very telling that biden is is willing to sort of restore norms or push back on the left to restore norms uh on the one hand but also sort of violate norms or not return to norms sort of yeah, push it, right on the other hand or is it even right maybe democrats are just the party of national security now um well they sort of were with obama i think i i mean obama is is known for the one that got osama bin laden right and he wasn't particularly like a dove when it came to to national security or foreign policy I, I just wanted to very quickly mention, because I, I don't think it should go unmentioned, that if Austin would be nomin nominated, he would be the first black secretary of defense, uh, which, again, progress. And it's always great to see it. So I don't want it, I don't want that to go unmentioned. Uh, but, you know, you brought up a good point, Daniel, like in terms of 
you know, his uh, Biden's reasoning in nominating Austin. And I want to kind of contrast it to to the way Trump picked his cabinet, because I the way I'm I'm starting to see Joe Biden's cabinet and you you both can let me know what you feel is that in some ways he's there's there's like some vague similarities to the way Trump picked his cabinet in the sense that he's picking people that he knows very well that Joe Biden knows very well and he trusts similar to how not I don't want to say the word similar but I think it's going to be contrasted to the way Trump picked uh cabinet members that express loyalty to him and and again you could say that people that Trump trusts to be loyal to him I don't think Joe Biden is asking for loyalty in that same way, but he is asking for people that he's had a, a prior relationship with, a personal relationship with, and um, people that that are well established uh, in in government and have had government roles in the past. It's just going to lead to a lot of like former, as we mentioned last week, like former Obama officials, or, or at least people that have been around that realm for a very, very long time. I don't think you're going to see a lot of like progressive new blood here, right? The title of our episode, I think it was last week, uh, Neon Genesis, or sorry, Neoliberal Evangelion. <laughs> it's, it's, and this is the 2.0. This is the, the sequel to the Obama administration in that regard. Um, yeah, Joe Biden's not asking for loyalty because he's not like a cartoon version of a mobster like Donald Trump is. <laughs> he literally sits around like, all right, I'm going to need you to be loyal to me and probably said the same to uh, the Supreme Court justices he put into place, which I'm sure he's right now freaking out about because he's like, they said they would be loyal to me and they dismissed my case. What's going on? This is no surprise, right? Like, And, and that's probably something I'm going to say over and over again. Like, I'm not shocked that this is Joe Biden's cabinet. I'm not shocked uh, hearing that call with civil rights leaders. I'm not shocked to to hear him make those comments about defunding the police or even seeing Obama make similar comments, comments about defunding the police. But I think it's still within my rights as a leftist or as, at least as a more liberal, uh, more to the left than Joe Biden's administration to still be disappointed and still be... Um, a little concerned and a little cynical about his upcoming administration because I I don't think the problems of today are going to be fixed by um, by moderation. I don't think they're gonna they're not gonna be simply fixed by reestablishing the norms. They're not gonna be fixed by by returning us to 2016. You know, January of 2016. Like it's gonna be require bigger ideas than that. And I'm a little concerned coming at, you know, on the first month, like between January 20th to February 20th, that we're just going to see some very, like, I'm hoping sometime soon we see an actual bill come out of Senate Democrats uh, and, and, House uh, House Democrats that Joe Biden backs. It's just a huge bill, like a three trillion dollar COVID relief bill to, to make me feel a little bit better because you know, I'm still I'm still very happy that Joe Biden's going to be the next president of the United States. But while not surprising, these upcoming or these these like revelations about his cabinet don't they don't have me feeling particularly great. Let me ask you, Sam, because you're you're also a leftist, but you're you're not hyper into politics the way Daniel and I are. But like, how have you felt about this? Not not let's not talk about the Republicans and how they've been acted, but specifically like since Biden was elected president and since you've like seeing some of these uh, potential nominees, like how do you feel going into January of next year? Like, are you still 
feeling excited or has that how you're curbing your enthusiasm a little bit? All that enthusiasm you had from Biden? I think it is curbing my enthusiasm just a little bit, mostly because it's the same names. I wanted Biden to win very much. I'm actually a little disappointed that he's like th- that he's picked some very familiar names, actually. I was hoping that he would try and go with his own way instead of just... I mean, I, I guess it is important that you know someone can do the job, but I think it's... I think you can you can pick someone who, who who knows how to do the job that hasn't done the job before or has done a similar job. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, that was kind of like... Joe Biden and Barack Obama, uh, Barack Obama ran very two very different races, right? Like one, Barack Obama was very much like the the status quo ha- has failed you, and and it's time for for hope and change. It's time for new blood. Uh, whereas Joe Biden was more like huh, you remember the status quo, good times, right? Like let's let's go back to that. Um, the status quo that Biden wants is incremental progress to the left. Uh, mm-hmm. So I guess status quo in that regard isn't pushing us too far backwards. Uh, we've just no. learned to be much more critical of the same of the same uh, right. sorts. There, there's some. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's something contradictory about us saying, "Well, he's going to do the public option," but also saying, "Well, he wants to take us back and be a Republican and." be super moderate you know yeah and i think there is a difference right like i, I understand that joe biden gets the label of just being like uh, a moderate republican and sometimes he gives off that vibe like especially like when you hear that call with with civil rights leaders and activists you you kind of get that sense but his actual like campaign promises are are at least Somewhat significant to the left of Barack Obama, like his his healthcare plan is to the left of Obamacare. His plan to uh, forgive ten thousand dollars of student debt loan debt is it's, it's certainly not like the five thousand dollars through executive. I'm sorry, fifty thousand dollars through uh, of loan forgiveness through executive order. But it, I mean, ten thousand dollars of loan forgiveness would have been unheard of even during the the Obama administration, right? Like I would have been in uh, in jubilation. I would have been so happy if, if Obama had proposed something like that, and he didn't. So it's there, there is some progress to the left, and I don't think it. Um, I understand that none of us were that enthusiastic about Joe Biden, but I think when he got elected, there was a lot of joy that came out of his his um, his victory, mainly because it, it just finally meant the end of the Trump administration, and now we're just kind of like we're processing all of this, right? And we're kind of like dealing with the disappointment, but we also have to be realistic that we are moving somewhat to the left, even if it's not your Bernie Sanders, democratic socialist type of progress. But maybe it'll lead to that at some point. You never know. Let's end it on a more lighter note because uh, last week, Daniel, uh, we, we gave our little holiday gift recommendations for people that we love or perhaps for ourselves. And I mentioned the MacBook Air with the new M1 chip as a possible choice. And it looks like to you, you took it more of perhaps a recommendation for yourself, which I was not expecting. So based on our prior conversation, it sounds like you might be pulling the trigger on it. Yep. So my significant other, I think I'm going to pull the trigger on it today. My significant other uh, did not want a new laptop. (laughs) I I think... (laughs) 
new technology can be kind of stressful sometimes, like transferring all your stuff over, uh, et cetera, learning whatever has to be learned. So uh, I think I might end up, you know, I'm in the market for a device. Um, my iPad that I've had, uh, my monstrous big iPad that I've had since 2012 has kind of shit the bed. Um, it still like works for FaceTime and stuff, but not really for anything else. Uh, that thing lasted a long time. I mostly used it to watch videos and surf the web, uh, surf the World Wide Web. Um, mm -hmm. WWW? But, yeah, the the internet. Uh, the but <laughs> but um, I'm also looking, I'm also kind of in the market for something I can do more writing on, writing for fun and also doing some writing for work. Um, I wanted something that was, it didn't have to be like a power horse per se, but something that could handle, you know, multitasking, web browsing, uh, watching movies, Netflix, um, but also like do some writing, that kind of thing. Um, I, um, I also wanted something that, you know, I do, I do, I have a work laptop the, that I do use during the week, but, you know, I periodically have to work during the weekend intermittently. So I did want something that I could use Citrix and log in and do some work, check some emails, do some writing. Um, and just have something that I could kick around, something that I didn't have to keep plugged in a lot or worry about charging a lot. And your description of the uh, iPad Air, or sorry, not the iPad, <laughs> the new MacBook Air sounded very intriguing to me. Um, so I think I'm going to pull the trigger on it. Um, I think I'm going to upgrade to a terabyte hard drive and a 16 gig of RAM um, in the hopes of future-proofing it in the same way that I kind of future-proofed my iPad from 2012. Uh, and, you know, I was I was just so pleased that it lasted that long. Um, I don't know if the <laughs> MacBook Air is going to last that long, but even if it lasted sort of half as long, I would be pretty, pretty uh, happy with it. Um, but, Gus, you know, there are some, there's some tension you know, I'm not thrilled about the only two ports thing. Mm -hmm. I have not been the biggest Mac user in the world prior to this. I'm willing to give it some shots. Yeah, I mean, that's my main concern, right? Because uh, when, when I was uh, um, making this suggestion, I did have your significant other in mind. I didn't actually specifically have you in mind. Mm -hmm. um, what you're describing makes sense, like what, what you need out of it. And I think it will provide you that. I think it will provide you that. I think you will be very happy with the battery life based on everything that I've read. Again, I should note, I'm not, uh, I don't own this product. This is based on what, what I've researched and the reviews that I've read over time. So just putting that disclaimer, but based on what I've read, you're going to be happy with the performance. You're going to be happy with the, with the battery life. You're probably going to be pretty happy with the design, with the hardware, with the screen, with the keyboard, all that good stuff. But you're a Windows guy from what I know. Like I'm always, I, you're, you're the PC, right? And I'm the Mac. Like I'm concerned. Like I, I'm I'm the Windows guy. Like I have a desktop, you know, PC that I made and I built, and I've I've used Windows for work. I've used Windows forever. I, I think it's more of a just I just haven't given myself a chance to get used to the Mac, the Mac operating systems. I would not say that I love Windows. <laughs> I would not say that I'm like, oh man, this is the most amazing operating system. It's got <laughs> a lot of issues with it, a lot of limitations, a lot of things that bug me. Windows 10 has, uh, it's it's got a lot of issues, to be honest, and a lot of issues that I'm still shocked that it's dealing with uh, 
after all these years, um, especially now that it's kind of a quote unquote free operating system um, and phones home a lot <laughs> in ways that are, uh, you know, you guys, listeners can Google that and, and go down that rabbit hole. Every time a new MacBook Air comes out, gets awesome reviews. I've always been like, oh, kind of should I dip my my toe into it? I've been an iPhone guy for a long time, iPad guy for a long time, but never a Mac laptop guy. Uh, which is why I think Gus, you had suggested uh, potentially as an alternative to this, getting a MacBook Pro. Sorry, not MacBook Pro, an iPad Pro with one of the keyboard attachments. But you noted that it would actually end up being more expensive than the laptop. Although in that case, I do get a touchscreen tablet to use. So it's it's a little difficult because there's two iPads that I think I, you may want to consider. One is the new iPad Air. I know it's confusing because we're talking about the MacBook Air and this is the iPad Air. Uh, but this just came out about two months ago. Um, and it's it's about a 10.9 inch screen. It has the new A14 chip, um, so it's pretty powerful. And you are able to use the Magic Keyboard, uh, quote unquote Magic Keyboard, which is just this uh, um, keyboard that you can keyboard in case that you can attach your iPad to, which I do use. I, I use it. I have the iPad Pro 11 inch. Um, you can see it here. I know that this does not work for audio, but I'm just showing it to my friends. It's it's an attachable keyboard that basically does a pretty good job of turning your iPad into like somewhat of a laptop replacement. So, but yes, like even for the iPad Air, um, first of all, it starts with 32 gigabytes. So you don't want to do that. You want to get the 256 one at least. And that one is $749. And then they... The this magic keyboard is three hundred dollars, which is absurd. Uh, it's it's mm. insane. I'm I'm an idiot for buying it, <laughs> even though I'm very happy with it. But <laughs> but yeah, at that point, you know, you're getting into the the above one thousand dollars, one thousand one hundred dollars, and you know, you're not getting a terabyte. You're well, you, you won't get that for for a thousand dollars either. But you're not you're not getting a full laptop experience. So yeah, because it is it's, iOS. It's not the a desktop. It, it's right. a it's a very it is that operating system. Although there is multitasking, it's not like true blue desktop multitasking, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, they call Which it iPad OS. They've they've been kind of trying to differentiate, but it is iOS. It's just that right. it has some more multitasking features, um, which it's getting closer. You know, like I do use the like the split screen and and some of the multitasking features more and more. And and in terms of like this keyboard is a great keyboard, the the, the one that you can buy separately. So I I have gotten somewhat close to a laptop replacement with it, but I would not recommend it. Like I I would not push for somebody that. Let me let me phrase it this way. If you don't have a laptop or you're looking to replace your laptop, I would not recommend. This is still more of a companion device than than okay. anything else. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. So the uh, the other question is should I get a MacBook Pro? It's got that you know, you talked about how the MacBook Air really needs a touchscreen now and your your iPad Air has a touchscreen obviously cuz it's an iPad <laughs> um and how the MacBook Pro has an awesome little touchscreen on it that you can touch to do things so it's like the future in your pocket kind of let me be clear uh, you're <laughs> referring to the touch bar and i hate that thing it's a, it's a piece of shit like it's a Oh, it's a terrible premise. Like, I don't understand why Apple thought it was a good idea. Like, I guess, I guess, I get just some to clarify, of, like, it's the... a little, it's a mini touchscreen mm -hmm. that lets you do all kinds of cool stuff. 
on so, your yeah, iPad, it, on your MacBook keyboard. Yes. Imagine rather than having like just a full touchscreen on your screen, instead you have this tiny little bar on your on your keyboard itself that replaces the the F1, F2 uh, keys, etc. Um, and the whole point, or I guess what was supposed to be the great idea, is that if you go to different apps, it's going to change. So you can use it differently. Like if you go into like uh, Photoshop, you can use whatever functions of Photoshop, and it'll change to that. If you go to like text messaging, your text messaging app, you can see like the emojis. It's stupid. It, 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 I, I don't understand what how Apple. Cool, what kind of cool gestures can you do on it? <laughs> Can you do like a chopping motion? (laughs) You can can just click on it and it'll select something or you can slide. I don't know. It's, I don't like it. It's, it doesn't garner favorable reviews. It's from what I've seen it, it doesn't really like it. It's actually a negative. Like most people would prefer just having the physical F1, F2, F buttons on, on the top, on the top row. So that's not a plus. What is a plus about the MacBook Pro, and it's actually something that I didn't mention in the previous episode, is that it actually does have significant, uh, uh, it has a significant lead on battery life compared to the MacBook Air. You're talking about like two to three hours more, which the MacBook Air already has outstanding battery life. So I don't think it's that much of a concern. But if you want just like buy an extra, it's a Mac, right? So can I buy an extra battery to swap it in? Like hot swap the batteries? Uh, No. I mean, (laughs) I guess you can, but no, you're not going to want to do that. (laughs) That's not a good solution. Um, So it's like your iPhone, right? You don't have like a battery like ready to swap it in and out from your iPhone. Like this is still Apple. They don't really like it when you open up your their Apple devices. Like they don't want you to mess with them. Um, So if you want like just 18 hours, I believe, is what they're quoting, whereas the the MacBook Air is more like 15 or 16. Uh, I don't believe I, I <laughs> That sounds I don't know. if I'm only using, like, Safari to... I think what they're referring to is, like, normal use, which means, like, some of it is standby, some of it is, like, um, just light browsing. Um, it's not like you just play a video and it'll stay on for 18 hours. I think that's more like 10 hours or so, mm. which is still a lot. I don't know why you would like why you need more than that. I don't know what you're doing, but um, the battery life will keep you happy. But I I don't know. Like in terms of one or the other, I would still recommend the MacBook Air. You just save like $300. So one of the things I was concerned about is whether whether I'd be able to use the new chip architecture for work. I actually called the tech support at work. Um, and they said, yes, I would. Although something tells me they just thought they get a lot of stupid calls. And when I called up and asked if I could use the new MacBook for work, they were like, uh, yeah, you could always use the MacBook. And then I was like, no, but it's like the new one. Can I use the <laughs> new one? And they're probably like, yes. <laughs> I'm sure they, I, I think I mentioned the chip, but they potentially, if they didn't know about it, they were just like, yeah, dumbass. You can use the new, you can use the new computer. For yeah. work, just like the old computers. And you know, for those that didn't listen to last week's episode, or just as a refresher, like the it, it's using uh, Apple made M1 chip, which is a system on chip, which is similar to what you have on your iPad and on your iPhone, like the A14 ones on the new iPhone 12 and the uh, iPad Air. Similar structure. Um, again, I'm not a tech expert, yeah, four, but I, it's got eight cores, four powerful cores. Um, and four less powerful cores, and it does like a 
hot swapping between them. So it always seems snappy when you're doing low power tasks. It relies on the low power cores and high power tasks rely on the high power cores. Uh, Gus, can you tell us what a core is? Because I'm, I'm not 100% sure. No, I can't. Okay. That's just something I always quote. <laughs> um, but Well, this has all the cores. so Yeah, all of them. Um, but the main thing, and I think this is Apple's success here that other companies, including Microsoft, have not been able to emulate, is, is their Rosetta 2 um, emulation. Uh, I, I use the word emulate. I, I did not mean that as a pun. Uh, but yeah, it's a Rosetta 2 emulation. Um, emulation where they basically made it pretty easy for for apps that are still running on on natively on Intel to still work on the on the new MacBook Air even though it's not running natively on the M1 chip so it's based on on what i've seen you're not going to have issues with most of your of the apps that you were using even if they they haven't been updated to run natively on the M1 because the emulation is so good which is the difference with microsoft because they actually released their own i, I think it's called the surface pro x which is the same thing it was supposed to be like a laptop replacement it had it was arm based but their emulation was not very good in fact i, I think it didn't even support like the 64-bit apps until fairly recently. So a lot of apps just simply did not work. Uh, even though the device, the hardware was beautiful and it had amazing battery life, a lot of the apps did not work very well. And that was the Achilles heel of that device. And Apple so far seems like they've successfully avoided that. So that's the benefit. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to, I think I'm going to pull the trigger on this thing soon, right at, maybe right after we record this. and. I get, it's got the Gus guarantee of satisfaction. So, mm -hmm. and if I understand correctly, that means you have an iPad, even though it's old. You have an iPhone, right? You I have do. a you have an Apple Watch, right? I do. Yeah. Uh, your transformation is almost complete. I know. <laughs> Sam, are you are you going to make the jump? Well, I am getting an Apple Watch. Well, I already purchased it. It's just in the mail. So good. Good. But I'm not gonna <laughs> go to a Mac laptop or a Mac computer. That'll never happen. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I'm gonna. So anyway, this is. I'm gonna be taking this new laptop on. It's gonna be the start of a new segment every week where I complain about the laptop to <laughs> to you and blame you, Gus, for putting me in this position. It's gonna be called Dan Dan the Apple. Man. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's my concern. Like, you're gonna run. Like, you're gonna want to tweak Mac OS a little bit, and it's gonna tell you no, and you're gonna hate it. Like, it's gonna. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, I'm gonna want to try to overclock it. Yeah. Day of. <laughs> but that's that's a thing I can do, right, Gus? I believe so. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> I'm just joking. I don't know. <laughs> But I hope you enjoy it. I, I'm looking forward to to hearing your thoughts. I think you are. There's going to be some growing pains, but I hope you learn to to love Mac OS and the MacBook Air. And Sam, I look forward to to hearing your positive impressions of the Apple Watch. Let us know once you get it. I will. Did you guys see that Apple selling like $549 headphones? Did you guys see that? $549 headphones. Over the ear headphones, which is weird because they're still calling them the Yeah, they still have the um the AirPod branding, which I guess I shouldn't be so like flabbergasted because I own I own the AirPod Pros and those things were 250. 
But man, like I, these were rumored for a long time uh, that Apple was working on uh, the over over the year headphones, uh, like studio headphones. But I figured they would be like three fifty or something like that. Five hundred and forty nine. Are you going to get it? Yeah. No. <laughs> of course. He's like, of course. <laughs> I'd say no, but probably like six months, you guys are going to see me wear them and be like, are those at the AirPod Max? I'm going to be like, no. Stop. Are they wireless? Yeah, no, not only are they wireless, they do not come with uh with like a wired uh a charger 3.5 millimeter. No, they come with a charger, but they don't come with an actual like 3.5 millimeter to connect it to. You have to buy one separately, which is like $50 <laughs> after you buy your $549. I guess no, I mean, people don't use them anymore, really, right? Right. Well, I mean. So to like further talk about my Apple credentials, I bought some Beats Pro Studio headphones um, recently. You, you guys can see me wearing them right now. The, but I got them on sale for one hundred and seventy dollars. But they came with with that. Oh, so, really? Yeah, and I use them. I use them for work to to plug it into my work laptop. I'm I'm taking a look at the at the website right now, and there's a twelve to fourteen week waiting period for those airpod max 12 to 14 oh, that, how yeah. many is that like three months yep three months wait. Yeah. so order them now <laughs> to get your your pair i'll have the money by then the stimulus check okay, will be in the mail <laughs> <laughs> i believe these headphones that nobody knows what they're going to sound like 549 dollars unbelievable Thanks, Apple. That is a lot of money. I mean, that's that's as much as I want to pay for my video card. And that can do yeah. a lot more than Just, play sound. It can run Cyberpunk 2077 at 30 frames per second. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more of that uh, in the next coming weeks. But let's go ahead and end the episode, guys. Uh, it's another long one. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me. Sam, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Daniel, thank you for joining me. Hope you enjoy your new laptop. Thank you, Gus. And yeah, you'll definitely be hearing about it. And to our listeners, uh, look forward to next week. We're going to have a year in review episode. Uh, our friend Nack will be joining us. So we look forward to that. Uh, that'll be next week. Uh, but I want to thank you for listening to this episode. And yeah, we'll see you next week. <laughs>